Just Life, a programme from Radio Maria England. Good morning, this is Radio Maria. You are listening to Just Life. Today we are joined for the third time by Simon John. Good morning, Simon. Good morning, Elizabeth and listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today with the third part of your mini-series Set the Captives Free, a series of talks about modern slavery. And today is a very special day. It's the feast day of St. Josephine Bakita, who was a modern slave. So it's the perfect day to talk about the modern slavery that exists even in our very, in our own country before our very eyes. In the first episode, Simon told us how many slaves there are in the world now, even more than in the time that the time of slavery that we think of as the time when there were slaves. And in the last episode, Simon told us about how slavery can be hidden before our own eyes, how we can participate in it unknowingly, and also what to look out for and how we can report it if we see anything suspicious. And Simon, what are you going to talk about today? Over to you. Well, today, um, as it is the feast of St. Josephine Bakita, um, I thought it would be appropriate to talk about the type of slavery to which she was subjected. Um, uh, and she probably falls uh, just into the period of modern slavery, as you say, um, or, although the type of slavery um, that she was in spans the generations, really, it spans the centuries. Uh, it, it's called domestic servitude, um, and it's, uh, in one, one sense, extremely innocent and normal, um, certainly in certain communities. And I think in my childhood, it was reasonably normal in the UK to have somebody living in your house um, as a helper, a maid, I think they used to be called, certainly in the US, um, in the South, extremely common. There was a great movie, actually, wasn't there? I think it was called Made or something similar um, about the, uh, the the life of maids in homes in the US um, and the conditions that they had to put up with. But even worse is what's called domestic servitude. Um, it, it's probably worth... Um, uh, me saying something about Saint Josephine and her life, um, just so that people can can get what goes on. We've spoken hitherto in generalities, but it'd be good to drill down to some. Yeah, um, please do. We did have we have Saint of the Day, um, but that was on at six fifty a.m. Uh, so not not all our listeners would, would have heard that. So please tell us more about Saint Josephine. Oh sure. Well, she was about seven. Um, when living in a very happy family um, in a village in Darfur, that, in the Sudan, that we heard about, didn't we, perhaps um, eight or ten years ago, and the, uh, the, the, the terrible things that were, that were happening there in terms of villages being raided and people being murdered and so on. But that wasn't happening at the time she was alive, um, uh, at least during her early years, which was in the 1870s. So when she was about seven years old, she was kidnapped by Arab slave traders um, and forced to walk barefoot about 600 miles, um, mocking her because she couldn't remember her name. She was given the name Lucky uh, by her captors, and that's what... Bakita means lucky or fortunate. She was sold um, and resold about five times and treated very badly by some of her owners. But despite this, uh, she, she once said, if I were to meet those who kidnapped me and even those who tortured me, I would kneel and kiss their hands. For if those things hadn't happened... I wouldn't have been a Christian and a religious today. So that's not to um, 
praise slavery, of course, but uh, sliding doors being what they are, that that was what brought about that chain of events, brought about uh, her Christianity in a way I'll explain in a second. And she is venerated as a modern African state saint um, and as a statement against the brutal history of slavery, Um, not just the history, but that it's carrying on today. She was taught of her owners. The fourth owner was a Turkish general in Khartoum, in the capital of Sudan, and she had to serve his mother-in-law and wife, who were very cruel. Um, The mistress was watching with a whip in hand and a dish of white flour, a dish of salt and a razor were brought into the room. The mistress used flour to draw patterns on her skin, and then she cut deeply along the lines before filling the wounds with salt to ensure permanent scarring. A total of 114 intricate patterns were cut into her breasts, her belly, and into her right arm. She suffered all sorts of other brandings and beatings on many occasions. Um, She said she didn't recall a day that that owner um, passed some wound or other. Um, And when a wound from the whip began to heal, other blows would pour down on me. Um, During these early years of her life, she didn't know Christ, but she did believe in a creator and had great awe and wonder for his creation, despite the terrible treatment she she suffered. Um, Towards the end of 1882, the Turkish general sold his slaves, including Bakita, and she was bought in Khartoum, by the Italian vice-consul, a man called Lagani. Two years later, the consul had to return to Italy, and Bakita begged to go with him. Um, One, I think, I gather from that, wouldn't normally take a slave with you when you moved countries, but uh, he did. They arrived in Genoa in Italy in April 1882, um, and Lagani gave ownership of Bakita to his wife, um, and they in turn lent them to another family who had to go abroad and um, left her in the care of a convent um, and in 1888. Um, And there um, she cared for for and instructed by the the sisters in the convent. Bakita encountered Christianity for the first time. Um, When the uh, person who, who she was loaned to, so to speak, um, returned, he wanted to take her done, but she absolutely refused to be removed from the convent. And she made an application to the court in Italy, and the court decided that she really had never been a slave legally because slavery had been abolished by then, um, both in Italy and in Sudan, then under British control. So um, she stayed in the convent and in 1890 she was baptised with the names Josephine Margaret and uh, Fortunata, the Latin translation of the Arabic Bakita. And on the same day she was confirmed and received Holy Communion from uh, the priest who was later to become Pope Pius X. So from those very humble beginnings, she had an extraordinary uh, 
contact with um, important owners, so to speak, in the terms of a general, um, and uh, and then a consul, um, and those things extraordinarily led to her going to the convent and converting to Christianity. She lived out the rest of her life in the convent, um, uh, 47 years, I think, and she was in her late 70s uh, when she died. She was canonised in 2000 in St Peter's Square um, by Pope John Paul II, who said that in Josephine, St Josephine, we find a shining advocate of genuine emancipation. The history of her life inspires not passive acceptance, but the firm resolve to work effectively to free girls and women from oppression and violence and to return them to their dignity in the full exercise of their rights. Um, and Bakita has been um, proposed as uh, the patron saint for the victims of human trafficking, um, the modern-day form of slavery that includes forced labour and many, many adults and children of both sexes being forced into prostitution, millions to be precise. St Josephine, pray for us. That might be a good time to, uh, to have a natural break. Thank you, yes. And Josephine, please pray for us. life on Radio Maria. This morning we are joined by Simon John for the third part of his series Set the Captives Free and today on the feast day of Saint Josephine Bakita, Simon is telling us about domestic servitude. Back over to you Simon. 
Thank you. Yes. So we've, we've, we've just um, talked about the life of, of Josephine, um, whose life, as I said, is, is not at all dissimilar to that of uh, millions of people um, in domestic servitude today. So what is domestic servitude? It's quite well defined by an American charity called um, End Slavery Now. And uh, I say American charity because, of course, this happens in the US, it happens in the UK, it happens all over Europe, it happens all over the world. Um, and, And they say this is the seemingly normal practice of live-in help that is used as cover for the exploitation and control of someone, usually from another country. Um, not all, By no means always. Um, it is a form of forced labour, but it also warrants its own category because of the unique context and challenges it presents. Uh, victims of domestic servitude may appear to be nannies or other domestic help, but from the moment um, their employment transitions um, into a situation whereby they cannot leave of their own free will, it becomes a case of enslavement. Um, The circumstances of living help create vulnerabilities for victims Domestic workplaces are connected to off-duty living quarters and often not shared with other workers. Such an environment can isolate workers and is conducive to exploitation because authorities cannot inspect homes as easily as they can formal workplaces. Um, So that's what End Slavery Now explain. uh, and and here's one an explanation from the UK from West Yorkshire Police, um, and all, all police forces would say the same. I just happened to have picked this from West Yorkshire's website. Domestic servitude is a form of trafficking in human beings, which is currently difficult to detect because the work is performed in private residences, as seemingly normal practice that is used as cover for the exploitation and control of someone, for example, nannies or other domestic help. But the moment their employment arrangement transitions into a situation where they can't leave, it becomes a case of enslavement. So very similar uh, comments. Um, It's a type of forced labour where victim is usually, the victim is usually expected to work around a person's home every day, Um, and be on call 24 hours a day. And victims can be spouse, partner, child, family member, male or female, young or old, UK national or foreign national. 83% are female, uh, this is in the UK, and 17% are male. There are a significant number of help groups. Um, what One I might mention in a bit more detail than others is the Filipino Domestic Workers Association, um, and that's a volunteer-run grassroots organisation of migrant workers already in the UK, which aims to support, uphold and campaign for the rights, welfare and dignity of um, uh, domestic workers Um, and it it has a particular worker who um, wrote an article on a police website Um, and and this lady ended up living in a hell in London after fleeing poverty in the Philippines Um, she describes a rescue she made um, in or from a white mansion block in South Kensington in February 2019. Um, Typically, but not always, um, these people who are domestic, um, uh, who are forced into domestic servitude, um, either come from 
um, very rich families um, or poorer families. It doesn't seem to happen quite so much in what you might call the middle of the road. But again, there are no absolute rules in this area or any other area of slavery. So um, it was just after 5am and she stood at a corner well away from any streetlights. I'm here, she tapped into her phone. Seconds later, her phone pinged back. I'm coming. I'm carrying a green bag. Please wait for me. She squinted down the gloomy street until she saw a woman emerge from one of the buildings clutching a hold all. She beckoned to her. The woman, panting with fear, slid up the icy street towards her. When she got close, the woman Guevara, who, who, who was the volunteer, uh, grabbed her hand and told her to run. When they arrived at the nearest underground station, um, Guevara turned towards her companion. She kept looking round to see if she was being followed, but I was telling her, you're safe now. And the woman was Gloria, a Filipino domestic worker, who'd been brought to London by a wealthy Qatari family, exploited and abused. That's just, you know, the typical story of the beginning of the end of domestic servitude for that particular lady. There are two other groups... Um, Kalayan um, and the Human Trafficking Foundation and uh, both of these numbers will be in the notes that uh, we'll put on the website afterwards um, just to give you a global perspective um, the US Department of State which is the equivalent of our foreign office in the UK um, publishes an annual trafficking in persons report. And it, um, again, describes uh, human th this form of human trafficking and says that female victims um, trafficked for domestic servitude suffer extreme harm. Um, and they're exposed to multiple forms of... Um, exploitation, violence, including sexual, physical and psychological abuse that is, rarely, that is rarely seen in other forms of trafficking. Um, and, uh, an ana and that comes from an analysis they made of court cases and summaries um, and, uh, and, and literature on the subject. Um, there's another another um, organisation, uh, very interesting, well, two others. One is the ILO, the UN agency, the International Labour Organisation. Um, and, and they talk about the way in which people are recruited um, to work as domestic slaves um, and that uh, small-scale recruiters apply this... A method in poor rural communities. They approach families in extreme poverty, convince them to send their children to work. They advanced funds um, to the family and uh, put the families in perpetual debt bondage with their children trapped in exploitation. Some agencies engaged in the recruitment of domestic workers in Asia for rich households in the Middle East um, often charge fees to the employers, so they get paid um, by the employer um, or the, effectively the slaveholder. And then the employer demands that the slave continues working um, until the debt is repaid, which, of course, it never is. Um, globally, and this figure includes people who are not enslaved, but 17.2 million children are in paid or unpaid domestic work in the home of a third-party employer. Um, and 67% of those uh, workers are girls, 65% um, of all child domestic workers 
are aged below 14 um, and seven and a half million are aged between five and 11. Um, so the, 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 the problem is very widespread. Um, there's one particular country um, where it's worse than anywhere. We'll come to the UK in, in, in a minute. Um, and that's a country called Mauritania. Um, and if, uh, like me, you get confused as to where that is, um, because there are several countries beginning with Mori something, um, it's, uh, it's just below Morocco. Um, well, a little way below Morocco on the west coast of, of Africa. Um, and in that case, the, the government, although it, it outlawed modern slavery um, only in 1981, um, it's estimated that up to 20% of the entire population of that country are held as slaves, um, a vast number of them in domestic slavery. Um, there are people attempting to draw attention to this problem, um, but they are treated by the government as criminals um, for all sorts of technical reasons, including libeling the country, suggesting that such a thing happens, and so on. Um, I'm a member of Amnesty International and personally worked on one of these cases, uh, an individual who was a blogger in Mauritania and um, due to his activities as a blogger, drawing it worldwide attention to the problem, he was arrested, charged and disappeared. Um, probably... Uh, it's not clear, but, uh, but but certainly imprisoned without any contact with anybody um, and, and possibly um, tortured. Uh, and it's not clear whether he's alive still. Um, the UK statistics, according to the government's uh, national referral mechanism, um, which keeps statistics, um, or sorry, the Office for National Statistics keeps data from the National Referral Mechanism um, to whom suspected uh, slaves are referred. It has calculated that um, the figures between 2010 and 2018, the latest year for which figures were available, uh, domestic slaves in London alone rose uh, from 116 in 2010 to 509 in 2018. So it's reasonable to infer, given that the vast majority of slaves are undetected, um, only a tiny number um, come to the surface, that there may be in the UK between five and 6,000 domestic slaves. And when you think that there are somewhere between 136,000 and 200,000 slaves overall in the UK, that number of five to 6,000 uh, domestic slaves may be con a conservative figure. So they're all around us. That may be another good time for a break, and I'll talk about some cases, some published cases, later. Thank you so much.
are listening to Radio Maria and this is Just Life. We are joined by Simon John, who is telling us about domestic slavery. And I just confess to never having heard of Mauritania. When I looked it up, it said it was the last country to abolish slavery in 1981. But obviously, abolishing slavery in law and in reality are two very different things. And um, Simon is going to go on to tell us about some individual cases of domestic servitude. Simon, back over to you. Yes, Elizabeth, you've just hit the nail completely on the head in terms of the difference between abolishing slavery in law and in practice. Um, it, It was, of course, abolished in the UK 200 years ago, or nearly 200 years ago, and um, uh, only in Mauritania in 1981. Um, but uh, it, it, it still thrives around the world, um, as, of course, do many crimes. Um, but, but this one is uh, particularly uh, unpleasant because it's victims cannot complain for reasons we discussed before um, uh, and may come across in one of these stories. Um, So uh, I'm just going to give you a few cases in the UK um, of um, people who were found in conditions of domestic servitude. Um, And they don't all precisely fit the... um, the, 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 the definition, because um, they're not all living in the house, although that was actually people living outside the house, was mentioned, I think, in the uh, End Slavery Now definition. So the, the first one um, occurred in Carlisle, um, and when a man um, was found um, in a shed in someone's garden in Carlisle, it was discovered that he'd been there for 40, yes, four zero years. He'd been uh, working um, on the part of his um, keeper, if you like, uh, the person who thought he, or certainly treated him as if he owned him, um, and he'd been Uh, sent out to work. I think he'd been delivered to work and the slave holder had kept all of his wages. Now, you you may wonder how anybody would tolerate that um, uh, unless they were chained. But he, like many of these people, was vulnerable We spoke about that in earlier programmes, and it's the theme of the series, the downtrodden. The downtrodden are usually, not always, but usually not the brightest sparks in society. Um, They are intellectually challenged, and this chap had an IQ of 59. And um, he was found in this shed, uh, a six by four foot shed um, in which there were a couple of filthy duvets uh, and uh, he had nowhere to go to the toilet, nowhere to wash. And he was kept by this man um, and to an extent by the man's son. Um, th- this all was all discovered in 2018 and the case only went to trial last week, um, partly because the owner, the senior owner, um, died uh, before the case got to trial. And But his son was nonetheless prosecuted. Um, and mercifully, you may think, uh, given a suspended sentence for his relatively small part in controlling this individual in a shed for 40 years. Um, and you can you can find it on the BBC uh, News um, England Cumbria, uh, Carlisle being in Cumbria, of course. The second is, uh, the second case I want to tell you about 
It happened in Northern Ireland. A man was arrested in East Belfast. And at the same time, um, a 25-year-old woman was arrested in Scotland um, on suspicion of domestic servitude um, of a woman in the house in East Belfast. I haven't been able to discover a great deal about that case, but it's reported on the BBC News under UK Northern Ireland. Um, the third is a, a case of um, a Briton, an Englishman, who um, made his wife live in slave-like conditions um, in his house in Charlton in South London. He was a 34-year-old mechanic um, and he entered into a um, marriage of convenience, if you like, um, an arranged marriage, um, which she willingly entered into and with initially high hopes. Woolwich Crown Court heard um, but he subjected her to violence, intimidation, aggression and misery. He abused, demeaned and taunted her over a two-year period. Um, and uh, he, he, he was jailed um, a couple of years ago um, for this terrible abuse. And that's reported in The Guardian. Um, actually, sorry, it was 2016... Um, the, the, the fourth case is that of a Romanian slave who was forced to live under the stairs and had to cut the lawn by hand and was just given a pound a day to buy biscuits by three captors at, a, at their Bristol home. Um, he was uh, forced to sleep under the stairs, made to wash his clothes on stones and use a hose to wash himself in the garden. Um, and uh, three people were prosecuted um, and uh, he, he was seen by neighbours uh, to go to and from bushes near a wood on several occasions to use the toilet. Um each of these cases is um, marked uh, by the fact that each one was discovered because a member of the public made a report to the police. Um, and, and it was the case here as well. Those people who saw him um, in the garden washing or, or going to the toilet um, in, uh, in, in, in nearby woods... Um, under their supervision, I believe. He was forced to work in an abattoir and all his wages were kept by his captors. Uh, they also uh, gave, allowed him no money apart from that pound um, a day to buy biscuits. Um, he had no means of transport. He had no identity documents because they stole them from him and he had limited English and the police say escape, well the prosecutor said actually, escape was not realistic for him. He didn't even know that 999 could be used in an emergency. Finally we come to the last one that I find most extraordinary. Um, it is the, a case um, from Southampton and another garden shed. Uh, and in this case, the, the holder of the slave uh, were a husband and wife. The wife had worked for the previous 20 years as a health sciences lecturer at Southampton University. Um, and the man had lived in their garden, the slave had lived in their garden for four years. I just cannot imagine a more extraordinary 
person to be a slaveholder than a lecturer, a professor effectively, in health sciences at a university. It just beggars belief. Um, police officers said that they found the Polish man in a shed um, after raiding uh, the, the home of this uh, lecturer and her husband in the leafy Southampton suburb of Chilworth. The man was in his 40s and had been forced to work in exchange for the family's past sell, past use-by date food. They're out-of-date food. Uh, he was said to be sleeping in a public... Uh, uh, sorry, in a plastic sun lounger in the shed, no flushing toilet. And again, the police were tipped off by a member of the public. In this case, um, uh, uh, someone who worked for the NHS. And, and that story can be accessed at the Daily Mail. So there's this common feature in all of these cases... Um, that someone, as we discussed in uh, the last programme, has kept their eye open. They've used their intuition, their common sense. They may even have gone to one of the websites, such as Stop the Traffic, um, or, 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 or several, or Unseen, and several others, um, these are UK um, anti-slavery websites or, or anti-slavery international, and they'd read about what someone looks like, appears like, if they're a slave. And they've just used their nous. They've used their common sense or intuition and thought, well, I don't actually know what's going on and probably and may never, but it just doesn't look right there's something quite wrong going on here, so I'm going to contact the police or the National Slavery Helpline uh, number, which again is um, is on the in in the notes to one of the earlier programmes. So it's about going around, being aware, having half an eye open the fact that there may be vulnerable people. Of course, in domestic servitude, one is less likely to see them than in other situations, but they are visible from time to time. They come out of the house for the various reasons um, we've heard, or to go shopping, or to take a child for a walk, a child in their care, for a walk in a park even. Um, so we we can all do likewise. We can um, help someone out of this condition just by being observant. So, thank you, uh, Simon. If anyone has any questions for Simon, I will open the phone lines. Uh, the number is zero one two two three three seven five five six four zero one two two three three seven five five six four. I'll also give our WhatsApp number just in case you'd rather send a message. It's 07502385010. Should we have a bit of music, Simon? Yeah, that'd be or good. Or see, see if anyone's got any comments.
we've got Helena on the line. Helena, have you got a question for Simon this morning? I just wanted to share with Simon, uh, first, uh, uh, gratitude for sharing this important subject. But to also, uh, I used to work in social care and the part of our training to support adults with learning disabilities or people with disabilities was to look out for this safeguarding for this slavery, modern slavery. And they did such a lovely job teaching us what to look out for, uh, what to, how to report it, how to do it. So I think, Simon, I'm sure you knew this, but it's, it's, we are training those people that are working with vulnerable people what to look out for and to take our part in helping stop modern slavery as well. Yes, thank you. It's absolutely right that uh, the the UK government has taken considerable steps to raise awareness among frontline workers, people in, as you say, social care, the police force, um, all emergency services, uh, people who work for, for local authorities. Um, but the problem is that that hasn't spilled over into the community at large yet. Um, I spoke to my parish uh, with the kind permission of my parish priest after, after his sermon on Sunday, and uh, people were just gobsmacked. I speak to schools, teachers, students, and they're all just gobsmacked. Um, they have no idea that this this is going on. We thought it had all gone away two hundred years ago. They no, say. no, still there. But the, by the way, that um, that modern slavery helpline I mentioned is o eight thousand so zero eight zero 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 one two one seven hundred. Um, and perhaps I can just. Um, bring things to a conclusion by mentioning again the um the what the police tell us um first of all that uh, this can and does happen in our communities in our communities and as a community we need to be aware of the signs so it's advised that we have good relationships with our neighbours, as this will make it more difficult for a perpetrator to conceal a person for slavery if we are well integrated as, as a community. The police continuously train staff, including neighbourhood patrol teams, so the information can be relayed back to the public, so it's on everybody's agenda. Um, sadly, it isn't, despite their best efforts, because uh, I, I don't think... Clearly, enough money has been invested um, in in publicising this problem. Um, you can find out about neighbourhood watch groups in your area and strengthen ties, uh, work towards ending modern-day slavery and human trafficking together, the police say. And as I mentioned in a previous programme, they... Um, say that we have to be their eyes and ears. Because as I mentioned earlier in the programme, um, and was mentioned by one of the prosecutors in one of the cases, um, slaves are quite unable to report the crime. Crimes um, are, of course, usually reported by the victim. But here, the victim um, almost certainly won't have a mobile phone, won't be able to speak the language, probably won't trust the police, um, and uh, is oppressed and controlled, threatened with terrible violence um, by his captor. So if anyone's going to report it to the police, it's got to be us. Um, they won't. So uh, our duty as citizens, as the Pope tells us, uh, is to do something about it. And that, and learning to be an ethical consumer, um, is pretty well all we can do. But it is an important thing we can do and does help, as we've learned from those cases.
Yes, Simon, thank you so much. You say people were gobsmacked, and it's true, even though I've been here facilitating these uh, three programmes of yours. When I read the Shed story in the news the other day, the Cumbrian man in the shed, I was so shocked. And um, and as you say, he said he didn't try and run away because he had nowhere to go. And also that the social care looking after him said he really had no idea of the of what had happened to him. He didn't understand the the depth of and the extent to which he'd been abused through the years because he didn't know any other life. You know, for 40 years he had been living in the shed as a slave. So as you say, these people are really helpless to help themselves. And so, yes. And also, um, if any of our listeners would like Simon to, to come and speak to them, I'm sure if, if they contacted us, you or, or you'd be able to arrange for someone else to, to come to a school or a parish. Yes. Is that right? Certainly. I, I, I spoke last year to um, over 100 schools, so I'm happy to do so again. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Will you be back with us again? About to, have you got more to share on modern slavery? We yes, hope so. Certainly. Hopefully we'll be back with Simon again next month. Thank you so much, Simon, for your time this morning. Not at all.